welcome everyone and thank you so much for joining us today for mediation and family dispute resolution. Our, our panelists, uh, Russell Alexander, Carolyn Warner, and Margie Primero Pimentel will be discussing the following topics. What is mediation? What types of mediation are there? Why choose mediation? Does mediation work if there is a history of domestic violence? What cases are appropriate for mediation? How do you choose a mediator? What happens at mediation? Is mediation mandatory if, you, if you're in court? What does a mediator do? What should I expect if I choose mediation? You have a mediated agreement, now what? How do you change a mediated agreement? And how is mediation, a mediated agreement different from an arbitration award? I'll also be sharing their tips and tricks and concluding comments. Um, we will be trying to answer as many questions throughout the presentation, but we will have a designated uh, part at the end as well for the Q&A. And so it is now my pleasure to introduce today's hosts. From the Greater Toronto Area, we have Russell Alexander, Carolyn Warner, and Margie Primero Pimentel of Russell Alexander Collaborative Family Lawyers. So starting off with Carolyn here, Carolyn is a fully trained collaborative family lawyer who has a knack for developing creative resolutions unique to each client situation. And Carolyn has been practicing family law exclusively for over eight years since her call to the bar in 2011. Next, we have Margie, and Margie has over 14 years of experience in family law. She is a collaboratively trained law practitioner and an accredited mediator who is passionate about facilitating fair and reasonable settlements for her clients. And last, we have Russell, who is the founder and senior partner of Russell Alexander Collaborative Family Lawyers. And with over 20 years of experience, Russell offers a wealth of knowledge and expertise in collaborative family law. He uses his experience with a client-focused approach by creating unique solutions for each of his clients to enable them and their families to move forward with their lives in a compassionate and in a collaborative manner. So now that you know a little bit about our team and what we have in store for the next hour, I'm now going to pass things over to Russell to kick off the presentation. What is mediation? So I think you got this one, Margie. Um, there have been times when, um, at that moment during the initial consultation, uh, when I go over a potential client's options, and I am met with a blank stare when I mention mediation or other alternative dispute resolution options, such as, uh, you know, mediation uh, and, and collaborative process. Uh, oftentimes, separating individuals don't know that there is a way to resolve their issues out of court, and mediation is one of them. So mediation is a process in which uh, the parties to a dispute agree to a, uh, an impartial third party facilitator, um, also known as a mediator, to assist them in uh, reaching a voluntary settlement of the issues in dispute. Uh, mediation is generally voluntary, confidential, and unbiased. Um, the mediator does not make a decision. Uh, that's, that's how they're different from an arbitrator. And the parties may terminate the process at, at any time. And when a, the parties reach uh, a voluntary settlement, it only becomes uh, binding when the parties sign a formal separation agreement. Great, thank you that, for that, Margie. So what types of mediation are there, Carolyn? So there's three broad strokes of types of mediation. So we've got facilitative mediation, evaluative mediation, or transformative mediation. So facilitative mediation is pretty much like how the words suggest. It means that the mediator there is there to help facilitate um, a settlement or a deal. Um, that person is effectively um, managing the party's discussions, negotiations going back forward and providing them with like a process and a structured process. The mediator in facilitative is not really there to make recommendations. Um, at the end of the day, the um, mediator really is in charge of the process and the parties are in charge of the outcome. Uh, so they want to make sure that the parties, they have all the information that they need, that they understand um, what they would be settling before they make that decision. And then we can move on to the evaluative mediation. So in this type of mediation, the mediator is acting more like uh, a person where they provide uh, uh, an evaluation of the facts and the situation and provide in a way like a strong recommendation on what they think the outcome should be. So the easiest way to sort of think about it is if you go to court and you're at a settlement conference, sometimes at that stage, the judge will often give you an opinion and will say, well, if, I, if this were at trial, this is the decision that I would make. 
So a mediator often is um, a lawyer that has experience in family law. So if you do an evaluated type mediation, that mediator would give you uh, their opinion on what a likely outcome would be. So when we can move on to the transformative model, which basically is saying it's like it's a new concept of mediation. And it's really looking at empowering the parties and part of the process and transforming their family um, to recognizing each party is really responsible for their outcome. And it's looking at a holistic view. I should also mention that in, in addition to those types of mediations, it's important to note that when you enter mediation process, there's uh, you could have an open mediation or closed mediation. So with open mediation, it would mean that effectively, if the mediation uh, does not work and the settlement is not reached, then uh, it would be open for the mediator to come back and maybe talk to the court or talk to the lawyers and explain why the mediation may have broke down or just explain the dynamic that happened um, within the context of the mediation. And closed mediation, which is the choice that I find most of my clients end up making is the closed mediation session, is that the mediator is not able to you know, be called as a witness or discuss um, what had happened in the context of mediation. I think people might be reluctant to put their cards on the table if it was open, right? They might uh, be um, not as forthcoming. Where a closed process, they might feel they have a little bit more freedom. What do you think, Carolyn? Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, people might play their cards, you know, close to their heart, as they say, if yeah. they're <laughs> in open, because they're like, well, this might come back. <laughs> yeah, I don't want the judge, I don't want the judge knowing this. Okay. Yeah, that's a great point. Okay, so why choose mediation, Margie? Well, there are so many uh, positive aspects of mediation. And as Carolyn, you know, indicates there's, there's so many different types of mediation. So you have a lot of options. Um, and, but there's so many positive aspects of mediation and uh, when it's appropriate. First of all, it's faster, um, less expensive than going to court. Uh, litigation is expensive and especially the pandemic, courts are backlogged. Um, you have more control uh, over not just the, the, the process in some respect, but especially over the outcome of your family law matter, um, because court is a gamble. Uh, and I've said this before, and I've said this to, to my clients, um, paraphrasing uh, Forrest Gump, really, you know, court is a, like a box of chocolates. You're not, you don't really know what you're going to get. Um, it really depends on the judge uh, in, in a lot of respects. Uh, and with more control over the outcome, you can be more creative in finding solution that both parties can agree to and can really live with. Um, mediation is informal. The focus is really finding a resolution through communication and an understanding of each other's uh, interests. It's private and confidential. Anything you say in mediation generally stays in mediation. Um, you know, subject to whether you open mediation, even then you can structure what can be disclosed um, if mediation should fail. And the last thing I think is a, a positive aspect of mediation, why, you should, why most people should choose it, um, especially parents, is that it helps you preserve your relationship. Um, and you have a better chance of maintaining a, a decent relationship with the other party after you've reached a, an, an agreement through mediation than if you fought it out in court. And maintaining relationship is, is relationships is really especially important for creating parents because post-separation conflict is shown to have more negative impact on children than the separation itself. Yeah, it's really insightful. Life is like a box of chocolates. Remember Laura Secord had the map on their chocolates so you can figure out which one is which. You go to court, you don't have a map. You don't know who your judge is going to be. Likely until that day, the court won't tell you. Uh, we don't. You don't know how the judge is going to approach your particular issue, right? There's a variety of outcomes that can come from different judges. Um, so exactly right. Mediation is uh, a great route. Nobody wants to go to court, right? It's expensive and lots of delay. Okay, I think it's time for another poll. Um, so let's run this one. Is the th threat of trial necessary before people are ready to settle? I actually read that title in um, one of the lawyer magazines we get saying, unless I can set the matter down for trial, I'm not gonna even consider settlement, right? <laughs> this is the mindset of a litigator. So 
let's see, uh, let's run this and uh, see what the answers are. I guess the choices are yes, no, and it depends on council, which uh, will have a big impact. The While we're letting everybody run their uh, selection, let's do a quick question. Can a respondent force a mediation, even though the judge has recommended but the applicant is firm to go to motions and trial thereafter with the premise that all costs will be covered in the end from the respondent. Well, I don't think so. I don't think you can force anybody to go to mediation. Carolyn, what do you think? No. So, I mean, there was those amendments um, in the Family Law Act recently with a strong recommendation that lawyers, we are obligated to speak with our clients about alternative dispute resolution. But it's not, yeah, it's not, they can't force it. It's not mandatory. Yeah. It's likely going to be the first question your case management judge will ask you is what attempts did you make to resolve this outside of the court system? And if one party does force a motion, the other lawyer can say, we suggested mediation or collaborative practice. They're completely ignored, and that could inform the court's decision as to costs, right? So what are our poll results? Let's see what we've got. Um, so is the threat of trial necessary before people are ready to settle? 13% said yes, 55% uh, said no, and then 32% says it depends on counsel. And thank you so much for sharing those results. And Marjorie, we know we've got this theory of the different hats lawyers can wear, right? Some are arsonists, some are firefighters, <laughs> Or some are, um, what were the other ones we were using in our? Uh, peacemaker and, and warrior. Right. I, I like, I prefer the firefighter arsonist. You love the firefighters. You know. <laughs> but, um, not only lawyers can be like that, but the clients too, right? Some are feel wronged or they want retribution. They don't understand that family court is not the place for that. Uh, but they want to burn everything to the ground. So interesting analogy. All right, what do we have up next? Does mediation work if there's a history of domestic violence? Really important issue these days. The Divorce Act changes um, take a deep dive into this issue of domestic violence, uh, real problem in the family court system historically, and now we're talking about it more. Carolyn, what do you think? Yeah, no, that's an excellent question. So I think there's this, you know, common I would say misconception that if there's a history of domestic violence, that mediation um, doesn't work. And I think people, um, when you work with a mediator that's accredited um, with one of the associations, they do um, in domestic violence and screening to work with the parties to figure out whether or not mediation is an appropriate process for the two spouses before they even enter mediation to begin with. And for that reason, I do think that there is an opportunity for mediation to work if there's a history of domestic violence. It just means that the process may look a little bit different than some someone else. So, I mean, if there's DV, domestic violence um, history, sometimes the mediator might not have the two parties in the room at the same time. They might operate like a, what we call a shuttle mediation. So they go back and forth between one side and then they go to the other side. Um, they might have uh, sessions, uh, it, it make sure that they'll only do the mediation if uh, both parties uh, are actually represented and have lawyers attend the mediation with them. So there are some uh, mechanisms that the mediator can use to sort of control and manage the process to ensure that the mediation process is a safe process. And it's a process that works for, I guess you can say the um, the victim of domestic violence. And then at the worst case scenario, the media might find and say that there's so much issues with this situation. They might say that this person may not have the power, ability to negotiate fairly, even with all these safeguards in place that they might say mediation is not appropriate. The other, uh, I think really important thing to consider is if there's a criminal proceeding underway, you're gonna to wanna to be mindful of what the release conditions are if you're gonna be going to mediation and the mediator needs to know, you know, what, what form of contact, if any, are these people allowed to have and it might require a bail variation. Um, really helpful tips. So 
let's go into another poll. Why not? So our next poll question is mediation appropriate for every case? Yes, no, and depends. <clears throat> so before we get to that, uh, we did have some questions uh, come in live from our audience. And we also have some that were sent in previously. Thank you everybody for submitting your questions. So we, here we go, we got a question from our audience. Do both parties need to have a lawyer to go to mediation, mediation or can they go to one on their own? Margie, you wanna take a crack of that? Yes, so um, I've uh, mediated uh, matters without counsel uh, when neither party has counsel. It's preferable that the parties have lawyers um, oftentimes people uh, choose mediation for the fact that they don't have to uh, pay for their own lawyers and mediation. Um, I, I do, however, uh, recommend that the parties obtain independent legal advice from the outset. You can, you can retain a lawyer on a limited scope basis to provide you with, with help in the, in the background, uh, give you legal advice while you're going through the mediation. You don't have to spend thousands of dollars uh, if that's your concern. Um, but it's preferable, but uh, if you don't have a lawyer, at least get independent legal advice throughout the process and at the very, very, very least before you sign anything. Yes, really great tip. Great question from the audience member. Uh, maybe we can get another quick one in here. I don't know, there's probably no such thing as a quick question, uh, but I think we kind of talked about this already. What if you have, uh, you're dealing with a, a narcissist, you know, we hear this a lot in family court, we we're just talking about it before we started, that seems to be everybody's opening line is my spouse is a narcissist. And then they spend tens of thousands of dollars to try to, to prove it. Uh, but this question asks, uh, goes on to say they're refusing to be truthful about basic facts or be reasonable. So as a, a a person like that appropriate for mediation can um, you talk to talk to that one, Carolyn? I know it's kind of a tough question. It is a hard question, but it is a good one because I think lots of people face this. I didn't learn so much about these personality <laughs> differences uh, working in family law. Um, you see it quite a bit. Um, so I think that you sort of have to look at um, you know a person's motivation and like well, what do they, why do they want to go to mediation and what do they want out of it? So when you first look at, assess what you want out of it and why you want to go to it and you look at the other party and you think that maybe they're unreasonable or they're going to take, I call it a scorched earth approach. Um, it, the reality might be that the process may not be appropriate and you can't control another person's behavior. And that's a hard thing that people have to realize going through a separation or just even renegotiating terms that you really can't control the other person's behavior. And if they show you a little bit about what they are and what, how they will make the process difficult, you have to sort of have a hard reality track and be like, maybe it's not working. It may yeah. not be appropriate. Yeah. Great question. Great answer. Let's see our poll results here. All right. So is mediation appropriate for every case? Yes. 11%. Some optimists out there. Uh, no. Majority of the people have said no at 54%. And 35% says it depends. So thank you so much, everybody, for sending in your answers. So this ties in neatly with our next topic. Um, what cases are appropriate for mediation? Um, I think that's uh, my question to answer. Um, mediation, and I think Carolyn touched upon this uh, as well in the last question. So mediation is usually appropriate in cases where all parties to the dispute are willing to meet and try to settle it because again it's a voluntary process um, they want to negotiate and settle their matter uh, the parties have some trust in each other um, the parties want a flexible and informal process um, if there's there's a balance uh, the power balance between the parties is fairly equal or it can be made fairly equal um, either by assisting one party who perhaps doesn't have as much information about you know, financial uh, issues, maybe having them uh, ensuring that they have the help in the background for that. Um, it's, it's appropriate for all the parties have an interest in maintaining our relationship after this week ends. It's appropriate where the case uh, requires a creative solution. Uh, sometimes there's a family cottage, which 
is oftentimes uh, there's an emotional aspect to that as well. And uh, the legal model uh, might not provide uh, such a, a creative solution and mediation provides that as well. Uh, parties would prefer to settle dispute in private and uh, without involving the court. So those are some of the cases where um, mediation um, is usually appropriate. Thank you so much, really helpful. So our next topic is how do you choose a mediator? Carolyn? Yeah, no, thanks for that, Margie. And so I think it sort of leads into what you said that you have to decide what you want to get out of mediation. So I think in making that assessment, you have to look at your abilities. So you have to think, well, are you a person that advocates for yourself? Are you a bit more shy? Are you more one to just go with the flow? Um, look at if there's any power imbalances between the between yourself and your spouse. Also, I think you need to look at um, your time frame. Like, are you looking to get it resolved quickly? Do you have some more time in place? Is there a deadline um, that you want to have it done? Like, for example, is the house listed for sale and there's a closing date already in, in looming? Um, and then from there, I think the next thing would be to really look at um, compiling a list of names. Um, so you might get names of mediators from word of mouth. You might have there's written lists if you go check out the um, associations. Um, also, like certain regional associations might have lists for mediators like Durham Association or Region Law Association. They have lists of lawyers that are mediators on there. You can also use referral lists like the Law Society. Um, they have referral lists as well. And you can also look for referrals through, you know, Google reviews um, or other online review services. Then you can look at like, well, the mediator, they probably would have some type of online presence. So whether it's their profile on their website, um, some people have LinkedIn, you can look at their experience, whether or not they're trained um, and affiliated with an accredited association, or if they have any articles or anything like that posted. Um, and then thereafter, some people might choose to um, interview mediators or interview people who have used that mediator in the past. Um, you have questions about, you know, what type of training they have, what type of knowledge, maybe type of experience they have dealing with your situation. Um, some people have, you know, very complex financial issues, like there's businesses or things that need to be valued. Um, so you might want to make sure that that mediator has that type of um, uh, experience. And also you want to know what type of style. So I mentioned quickly about the different types, you know, types, whether or not they're going to be an evaluative mediator, or if they're going to be transformative, or if they're going to take more facilitative approach, um, and ensuring obviously confidentiality. And then after that, you just sort of have to do your research, go through the list and, and make a decision effectively. Or they can call you or Margie. Yeah. <laughs> You're both Absolutely. mediators, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, okay, just before we get into our next slide, a bunch of questions that are rolling in and I'm just trying to stay on top of them. So thank you, everybody. Uh, what type of preparation do the parties need to take before mediation? What financial disclosure is necessary? Who wants to take a crack at that one? Um, I'll take a crack at that. Uh, at least when I do the mediation and, and uh, I've seen, I've, I've sat in on, on uh, mediations as, as counsel, it really depends. If, you're, if, you're, if you have a lawyer uh, entering into, the, as before you enter into the mediation process, then your lawyer will help you with the financial disclosure. Um, in terms of if you're, if you're just starting fresh and, and you don't have a lawyer, uh, sometimes the mediator would, would be assisting you with that, um, give, helping you, uh, your, the parties, uh, figure out what sort of disclosure is needed. Uh, but again, um, it depends on whether you have counsel or if you don't have counsel. So in order to prepare in terms of financial disclosure, um, I think that was a question, um, your lawyer would assist you with that or the mediator. I don't know if, if, if anybody else has a different take. Yeah. I think uh, it also depends why you're going to mediation, right? You're going to mediation to work a, an access schedule for Christmas access. We don't need to produce financial statements for that. Um, I think, would your answer pretty, pretty much the same, Carolyn, or would you add anything to that? You know, I think that's a great point. Yeah, yeah. definitely have to assess um, why you're going to mediation to figure out what's necessary for preparation. But I'm glad that you asked this question, Russ, because I saw it and I was thinking, oh, that's an excellent question. <laughs> it's a really good one. Thanks. There's so many good questions. I'm going to try to get as many as I can. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so what we got up next? What happens at mediation? I think Margie, we're going to turn to you for this one. So you're there, yes. you're at mediation. Yeah. What what should people expect? Well, first of all, when you've chosen mediation, um, and again, this depends on on the mediator. Certain mediators have different styles and and how they like to do things, but. Uh, usually what happens is that you first have a consultation with a mediator uh, and, and in, that, in that consultation, that mediator tells you uh, what it means. And uh, during that, that initial consultation, they, they also screen for power imbalances. Um, like Carolyn mentioned, it's, that's something that's, that happens throughout the process. Uh, once the parties choose the mediation, they have individual um, intakes. Uh, that's the purpose of that is to allow them to tell the mediator what things that they didn't feel comfortable saying in the joint uh, consultation. Um, then they, if the, both parties are on board and the mediator determines that mediation is appropriate, the parties then sign an agreement to mediate. Uh, it signifies the party's willingness to mediate the issues and what issues are gonna be mediating. Uh, the mediation, mediation sessions are discussed and planned out. Uh, the number and duration of sessions vary and largely depend on the issues in dispute and the parties themselves. If the, the parties, uh, if there's, a, there's still some conflict between them, uh, a lot of arguing, then obviously there are more sessions are required uh, to get through, uh, to come to an agreement on issues. Uh, mediation process is planned out also in the sense that uh, the, the mediator can determine is shuttle mediation appropriate? Uh, when is it appropriate? In cases where there have been family violence, uh, should the you know should the parties uh, one of the parties that the survivor of that domestic violence there should be maybe a signal established between that party and the mediator uh, when that party needs a break, for example, or needs to be able to speak to the mediator in private, uh, things like that. Just how the the sessions themselves will be will be uh, structured uh, during the mediation sessions. Uh, the mediator sets out the ground rules. You have to be respectful. You have to listen to each other. No talking over each other. Put your listening ears on. Um, after each mediation session, the mediator sends out progress notes to set out what the parties agreed to in principle, if anything, uh, or what was discussed and any homework that uh, any either party has to, to, to do before the next session. Uh, once the parties have come to an agreement in principle, either a memorandum of understanding or a separation agreement is drafted, depending on the mediator. And then ILA is, as I said before, encouraged throughout the process, especially before the agreement is signed. I, I've, I, I'm convinced that I need to have a, a t-shirt that says, get ILA uh, when I do mediation so that at every session they are aware they should get ILA. So that's, that's usually a typical, like what happens at mediation. As Margie, don't give Russ any ideas. <laughs> Flag bags for our audience members. Um, couple things for, for the people who don't know, can you just tell us briefly what shuttle mediation is and also what ILA is? It's easy to ask. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Every day, right? But yeah. can you just break those two terms down for us? Sorry about that. I just, it just, I didn't even think about that. Thanks for us. So shuttle mediation is where uh, the parties are not in the same room and uh, the mediator would just go from one party to the other. Uh, it's it, it, during, you know, the zoom, zoom time, like uh, since we're no longer, some, most cases we're not really doing a lot of in-person, you could do breakout rooms. Um, the purpose of that is you know, sometimes uh, the especially survivors of domestic violence don't feel comfortable being in the same room, even you know via Zoom. So we, we it's separate rooms for each party, and you just go from one room to the other, and you communicate with, between the parties that way. Uh, in terms of ILA, that means that means independent legal advice. So getting advice from your own lawyer uh, throughout the process. Excellent. Thank you so much. All right, next up we have, is mediation mandatory if you go to court? Well, the Divorce Act changes. Carolyn touched upon that a little bit. What do you think of this topic, Carolyn? I was gonna say our participants are so smart, they're ahead of us. Because <laughs> this was a question. So we sort of had a nice segue into this earlier um, talking about it. Yeah, so there was those changes. So it does, there was a strong emphasis that you, lawyers were obligated to talk about alternative dispute resolution. We do have to advise our clients of those options. In fact, when you start, you sign a court application now, 
there's a new line that the lawyer signs off that they've done that. It's a requirement, um, but it's not mandatory. And I think Margie's really um, helped emphasize this today. And I've heard it a lot and I love it. Mediation is a voluntary process. So the court doesn't want to take away that. I don't think the legislature wants to take away from that. And that's what I think makes mediation beautiful is the fact that it is voluntary and that it isn't a process that I really think does empower people to take control of their lives and make a decision for their outcome. You should really seriously consider mediation before rushing off the court though. It's not, it's in the legislation, but more importantly, I think you're gonna get a rough day in court if uh, the judge asks you, did you try to look at alternative or family dispute resolution mechanisms? It could be a mediation or something else. And if you're just coming out guns ablazes, the judge is going to stop you in your tracks and say, um, go to mediation and then come back and see me maybe seven months down the road. Russ, that's, in, that's so that actually happened <laughs> recently in a yeah. file. The judge says, why are you here on an emergency basis? Go to mediation, kicked it to mediation, done, resolved yeah. it. Yeah. So it can happen. And depending on if you're going back to court on a motion to change or vary and your previous document, whether it's a court order or separation agreement says you're to, a dispute resolution provision saying you're to attend mediation. If you don't take that step, the judge will not hear you. They'll send you to mediation and then you got to come back again. So that's a great point. Um, let's just see. All right. Here's a bit of a bombshell question, but I'm going to throw it out there because they can't all be easy ones. But do you believe that it's appropriate to use non-lawyer mediators to address legal issues such as spousal support and property division? Um, who I got an opinion on this, but let's hear from our experts. What do you guys think? I think this is really tricky. <laughs> yeah, so I do, I do think it's, I love mediation, but I think it goes down to uh, selecting a mediator. So I think if you have these very difficult topics um, that can be very complicated, even for the lawyers. Sometimes I think you want to be very careful and having a mediator that is well-versed and understands the concepts, especially spousal supports. There's so many variables on that um, that can sway it. And a lot of it is, um, you know, based in case law. It's very fact specific. It's very driven by the circumstances of each party. And just because you heard something from your friend or your cousin or your coworker, it doesn't mean it's going to apply to your situation. So you need to make sure that the mediator is, is well-versed. Thoughts, Margie? Well, just remember the mediator can't give you legal advice anyway, right? Right. Which is why you should get independent legal advice throughout the process. Um, but so if, if you're, if the question is, is what do I think about using non-lawyer mediators? I don't think that, I mean, for example, if it's, it's purely parenting, um, a, a, a non-lawyer uh, mediator can can assist with that, and, and I agree with with Carolyn. Um, it really depends on the mediator, their level of experience, their their knowledge, and at the at the end of the day, they can't give you legal advice anyway. So you should go and get, find find uh, a lawyer to help you understand the terms of that um, that memorandum of understanding and draft a separation agreement. The L ILA provision is a nice little safeguard, right? And there's lots of non lawyer mediators who are great they got expertise in business valuations and other areas where lawyers aren't trained so there's lots of value to that but in my experience when i see an agreement come in that deals with complicated financial or support issues you know even the lawyers get that wrong but if you don't have the legal training or the experience oftentimes those mediated agreements need to be reworked or they end up in court where you didn't want to be in the first place because there's a dispute over a legal issue that wasn't addressed in mediation. So be very cautious about it. ILA may not be able to patch up everything, but certainly um, buyer beware in that sense. All right, so um, who does the mediator, or sorry, what does a mediator do? Okay, well, mediators, as we mentioned before, are neutral third parties, so they don't take sides. Okay, so that's one thing they don't do. They, they don't take sides, they're neutral. Uh, they're trained to assist you and uh, your spouse with communicating with each other uh, and understanding each other's position. 
um, uh, when I went through my mediation training, was a lot of training on how to help the part, uh, how to help parties communicate. Uh, in, you know, mirroring, uh, trying to make. Sometimes it's it's also confirming what the other person is saying, um, and, and uh, rephrasing it in the way that the other party can understand. Uh, the mediator can assist you through the process of negotiations. They do not make a decision for you. Like Carolyn said, there's a lot of control. You have the control and in, in, in the outcome. They do not make the decisions for you. And as I said, they don't give you legal advice. And a mediator is there to provide you and your, your spouse with a safe, neutral place to negotiate an agreement. Uh, we did have a comment from the audience member indicating that the Flick office is a good place for people to um, familiarize themselves with uh, available options. It's free. It's usually at the Superior Court. FLIC stands for Family Law Information Center. So that's another resource that's out there. Thank you for um, mentioning that. And maybe we'll just do another quick question. Um, and I'm not sure if we've covered this off, but does do mediators have a governing body like the Law Society does for lawyers or how are they regulated? Or should they be regulated? Yeah, I, there are, um, I can take partially that one. There's not necessarily a governing body, body like the Law Society, but there are uh, two streams of mediations uh, that, that I know of, at least in Ontario, where you can get accredited. So which means that you've done a certain amount of hours of in-course training, and you've done a certain amount of hours of actually hands-on practicum training to be um, a mediator. So that's one of the things if you're looking for a mediator, you probably want to look to see that they are actually, um, that they are accredited. because so, you know, they've done that extensive training. Great, great answer. All right, next topic is uh, what should I expect if I choose mediation? Carolyn? Yeah, so it's good to um, think about this. This is something I always tell, you know, someone as they're heading into mediation is just to remember, like Margie said, the mediator does not um, pick sides. So you're not going to go into mediation expecting the mediator to say, oh, you're 100% right. The other side is wrong. They need to see it your way. It's not going to happen. <laughs> mediation is there to help facilitate an agreement. It's not really there to say that someone's right or someone's wrong. Um, that sometimes though the mediator will play devil's advocate and they'll do that with both parties. Um, and that's important because it helps you to understand the strengths and weaknesses of your position. Um, and mediation is really important to expect that you have to be uh, open-minded um, and like you got to put on your listening ears. Um, you need to be able to understand and listen to what um, the other party's saying or what their lawyer is saying, because then when you listen to the arguments, you might discover facts that you didn't know before. Um, and you might have considered something that maybe you weren't really prepared to hear before until you had really got down to the mediation process. Um, and that's important to do because sometimes when you're listening and you're hearing the background, it gives you more of a reason of the why um, so that you're able to reach a uh, resolution. Um, another thing is mediation. People don't realize it's really long. <laughs> they can be quite boring. Um, sometimes, especially if you're doing a shuttle mediation, the mediator will speak with you and then they'll go back. And I think sometimes as a mediator, they have to remember, well, how much time did I spend with party A? And then how much time do I spend with party B? Because if they're with party A for 15 minutes, with, but with party B for just five, they might feel wondering why. It, are they too easy? Is the other side being more difficult? So keep that in mind. Um, so sometimes I say you might want to, you know, bring a magazine, a book or something else to work on and snacks, <laughs> lots of snacks, because sometimes um, it can be, you can get hungry. <laughs> so it's a good idea to pack snacks as well. Um, and then mediation. Um, you have to remember mediation is uh, voluntary and it's not like a definitive process. So it's not arbitration. It's not a judge. You're not going to have this person tell you this is the way or things are going to be. They're just there to help you facilitate a deal and negotiate it. Um, and then in terms of mediation, you also have to remember that sometimes mediation is the best time to settle. So you don't want to wait up to the eve of a trial um, it, when everyone has spent and exhausted all this money, um, sometimes really mediation is the best time to resolve it. And also in terms of 
if you resolve in a mediation, especially if there's parenting issues involved, it really does help strengthen the bond that you would have in the relationship you have, not necessarily together, but at least for the sake of the children. Yeah, arrange childcare if it's going to be running late and just that, that bond with the kids, right? You know, do you want to have both parents there when your daughter gets married and walk your daughter down the aisle or do you want that to be a spectacle, right? We all hear about that with divorcing families. All right, thank you so much for that, Carolyn. Let's get into our final poll question today. Should lawyers review any final mediation settlement before the parties sign the agreement? Options are yes, no, and it depends. So we'll just give everybody a moment to get their answers in. We did have more questions come in online. Thank you everyone for submitting your questions. The next question we're gonna pick is, do both parties get disclosure of the mediated terms? Margie? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm trying to understand the question. You, if, there, if you get an agreement, do you get, are they gonna provide you with a copy of it? Okay, so it depends on, on the mediators. If, if it's a non-lawyer mediator, they usually prepare a, a memorandum of understanding, uh, which is not itself the separation agreement. Um, you, you, if, if you're a lawyer, if, if your mediator is a lawyer, they may prepare the, sep the uh, separation agreement, the draft separation agreement, but both parties get a copy of that or like they, they do get a copy of the final product. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and again, get, independent legal advice? Obvious answer to us, but it's a good question if you've never been to it. So let's see what our poll results say about having lawyers review the agreements. 89% uh, said yes, I agree. 3% uh, no. 8% says it depends. So thank you again, everybody, for submitting your votes. Uh, much appreciated. Let's go into our next topic, which is you, now, you have a mediated agreement now what? So we're just kind of touching upon that a little bit. Um, what you want to do, in my view, is you want to put it into a formal separation agreement. Ideally, have it signed off by the both lawyers and everybody's going to get copies of it. Or if you're in court, you might be able to do something called a 14B motion for an order pursuant to your mediated agreement. So 14B is the rules of the family court. It provides for um, non-contentious administrative motions to be done in writing and simply file the agreement with the court. The court may ask you to change certain terms. Uh, court orders are pretty specific in terms of what it says and what they shouldn't say. So maybe not all of the terms of your mediated agreement will become part of a court order, but certainly uh, most of it would. What do you think? Is that the appropriate next step, Carolyn and Margie? Yeah, I, I I agree with that, especially if it's if you're like you mentioned, if it's your, if you're in court, and then that's that's I think a key thing to remember. Even though you're in court, you could still do mediation. I get this question a lot too. In court, can I can I still do mediation? Yes, uh, and, and and if you have an agreement then yes, do a 14B uh, uh, motion um, and have a draft order incorporating the, the terms of the agreement. And then you'll have an order uh, based on your agreement. So I completely agree with you, Russ. That's such an important perspective. When I get a case that's already in court, right? They may have changed lawyers or the first thing I ask is, can this be settled in mediation or maybe using collaborative practice? Like, why do we need a judge to resolve this case and that just taking that mindset and if you're in court you can put the brakes on it the judge will certainly if, if both parties are genuine about going to mediation will certainly give you every opportunity to explore that they've got limited resources and they don't like you know it takes time to write court decisions and they'll certainly encourage that all right so our next topic how do you change a mediated agreement margie Okay, so a mediated agreement, I, I define that as a, a, a separation agreement that's binding. Um, and most separation agreements have uh, dispute resolution provisions that say, if you uh, are in dispute, then this is how you um, go about uh, negotiating changes. 
Um, obviously, if you guys agree on the change, um, you can you can just uh, uh, go back to mediation or, or enter into an amended agreement with the help of a lawyer. But if you're if you're uh, if there's a dispute, you follow the dispute resolution mechanism that's set out in your in your agreement. Uh, you go back to mediation uh, is another option, or very very last resort, go to court. I think it depends on some, it depends on the topic of disagreement, right? So the mediated agreement might say go to the parenting coordinator, or um, it it may it may be fact specific if something wasn't covered off in mediation, and you know, a division of a pension or something like that. What do you think, Carolyn? How would you uh, change a mediated agreement? Yeah, I think the first thing is is to um, I think you have to have discussion with the other party. So, regardless of what this uh, the agreement says, mediated agreement says, it may say go to mediation, it might say go to parenting coordination. But I think you just have to first open that dialogue and say, oh, here's you know you're going to say my updated income. If, for example, if you're doing a change for child support or you know sharing of the kids' activities. Um, or some party might say they want to move to a different town. Those are just examples. I think the first starting point is to have that discussion. See if you can do some negotiations on your own and still follow the terms that are set in the agreement. And then next, you can always go back. If you worked with a lawyer that had helped you do the mediated agreement, you can go back to them to see if you can go assist you with that. Or you can go back to see if that mediator is available to um, actually mediate that issue before. And generally speaking, I think the court's going to show deference to your agreement unless it's fundamentally unfair. Um, people are going to be held to the agreements that they make. So that takes us into uh, our next topic. How is, how is a mediated agreement different than an arbitration award? Can you help us out with that, Carolyn? Yeah, so I think to answer that, I'll just quickly go over the difference between mediation and arbitration. So we've spent a lot of time, you should know what mediation is by now, <laughs> um, but so, so <laughs> I hope so. Um, so just to explain the difference between arbitration is arbitration is when you have a third party that um, basically can force a decision on you, like a judge. So sometimes the arbitrator might work in the context of a mediator where they are the mediator and then they have the power if you don't reach a resolution that they would turn into arbitrator or easy way to think of it as a private judge and they would make that decision. So that effectively does explain the difference between the two. So the mediated agreement is something that the two parties, they come up together, they make this agreement, they give and take, they have negotiations, they have a resolution, they have an agreement. Arbitration is where the arbitrator has actually acted like a judge and made a decision and made it effectively like a private order for the parties. Sometimes it's both, right? Um, you'll have a mediator give their opinion and then they'll become an arbitrator. Right. Excellent, excellent explanation. Thank you for that, Carolyn. So we are right on time and then we're, our host is going to come back in a moment. Let's just do a couple of tips and tricks. And then we'll get into our final Q&A with our host, Shannon. So who wants to go first? Margie, tips and tricks for our audience members? Sure. Um, I think the first tip is be honest. Um, honesty, respect, and trust are all important in mediation, especially when it comes to financial disclosure. Uh, communicate with the mediator if you don't feel comfortable or you don't feel safe about talking about your interests or views. During mediation, you can let the mediator know in private. Uh, the mediator has the option of meeting with you and the other party separately in shuttle mediation. And last but not least, as I repeated throughout, uh, get independent legal advice from a lawyer before you sign any mediated agreement. Uh, the mediator cannot give you legal advice, even if the mediator is a lawyer. Those t-shirts made up. I love it. Carolyn, final <laughs> tips and tricks. Yeah, I think going, I love the t-shirt. I can just see it on your desk or <laughs> <laughs> well, Zoom times, it will show up at your house as we're yeah. working remotely. Um, but I think mediation, you got to go in with zero expectations, um, which means that you'll be open-minded and which means that you'll be able to consider all options for settlement. Um, and also the mediation, don't feel like you have to settle everything. It's quite often where parties might go into mediation. They might say, okay, we agree on this topic, but they still have another topic that still needs to be worked out. And so they might do a partial settlement. What I do find is that when people do that, it gets the momentum going to get everything resolved. So that's something. 
Also is important really to listen, um, especially to the other side, you might learn something. If you're not sure, you can ask questions. Um, and also I think it's important to recognize that mediation is a process. So you might have to be patient with that. You might not get everything resolved in one session. It might take more than uh, one session um, than to get it to get it done. All right, so let's get into our Q&A. Sure, thank you so much, everyone who sent in questions. And like Russ said, we tried to answer as many as we could throughout and we'll get through as many as we can in the next few minutes. Um, so first question I have here is, what are the key pros and cons regarding mediation versus the collaborative process? If no settlements in mediation, are the lawyers still available to go to court for settlement? Yeah, that's a good one. I can give it a crack, <laughs> um, so having experience with both. So I think um, it said versus, so I'll just do each one separately if that's okay. So I think one of the pros um, uh, for mediation is obviously that it's a voluntary process. You have control of making, I mean, your own laws effectively because it's your own out, your own outcome, um, as well as uh, that, you know, there's an option to save costs as well in the context of mediation. I'd say all of those pros actually still uh, go with the collaborative process as well. And then I guess some of the cons would be of mediation is that, um, and it would be for collaborative as well, in my opinion, is that it's not always appropriate for all circumstances. So we talked a little bit about um, if there's a you know history of uh, domestic violence that may not be able to be managed within mediation um, because the power balance is too great, um, it may not always be appropriate. Um, and I guess one of the cons for collaborative could also be um, that uh, you're, you know, some people don't realize that you have to be patient if they're expecting things to be done very quickly. Um, sometimes the process might be slower than they're expecting. Um, so it does take time. Doesn't mean that there's not deals done quickly in mediation or collaborative, but sometimes it does take more than one session or one, one meeting to get it done. Great. Thank you, Carolyn. What do you think? Is that it or one more? Probably we should wrap it up. All right, we'll wrap it up. Um, well, we don't want to be great. late. We don't want to keep people. <laughs> right, we want to be mindful of everyone's time. Thank you so much again, Margie, Carolyn, and Russell. I know I've learned a lot. I hope our audience has as well. And um, just want to thank everyone again for coming today and for your participation and questions. We really appreciate it. Um, and if you do have any questions or comments about our virtual event series, please feel free to reach out to our team. And um, you can reach me at Shannon at RussellAlexander.com. So we just want to thank everyone again for joining us today. And we hope you all have a wonderful day. Great job, Shannon, Margie, Carolyn. Have a good afternoon, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye. today.